step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Bannacarum, here to announce a new season of our show, In Retrospect which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart. From the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan-loving Golden Girls. Listen to In Retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. A little thought experiment, a brief one. I want you to picture that you've never seen an elephant before in your life. And when I say never seen, I mean you are in ancient times. Ancient times. There's no TV. There's no radio. You're not getting 
National Geographic magazine, you've never seen one. You've heard rumors about them, but you've never seen one. Now, an elephant is standing in front of you. What are you thinking? You don't ever think about this, right? What are you thinking? Um, okay, so apparently we have monsters in the world, right? What would you be thinking? Huge tusks, ears, it's gigantic, it can squash you like a bug. Uh, did I wish someone had told me there were actual monsters, because that's a monster. Now I want you to imagine that elephant wants to murder you, and you have a spear. That is what we're about to talk about today. Yeah, it's going to be sweet. Hannibal Barca. I am extremely saddened to announce that while I love Hannibal, he's one of my favorite people in the history of the world, that I was, while I was doing some reading and such, yeah, I, I know how to read. I don't like to brag. While I was doing some reading, I discovered that Hannibal Lecter, the character from the Silence of the Lambs movies, is actually more Googled than Hannibal Barca, and it made me want to swan dive off a building. Um, Hannibal was not a serial killer from a scary movie. Hannibal Barca is one of, if not the greatest generals who ever lived, but made a colossal mistake and it ended poorly you see let us rewind briefly we are in the mediterranean world now this is long before the discovery of america yes i know the indians were already here then probably but this is long before the discovery of america we're talking 300 bc 200 bc time frame Slightly before Julius Caesar's time, but we are in the Mediterranean. And you need to understand, Rome exists. Rome is extremely powerful at this time, but Rome is not Rome yet. Rome is the young bull. Rome is the up-and-coming fighter who's beating the crap out of everybody they face. But there aren't Rome that you know of yet. The old, salty, heavyweight champion of the world at this time was Carthage. Carthage, I do not expect you to know where that is. If you know, you know that little boot of Italy? And Sicily is that little island you see right off the west coast of the end of Italy's boot. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Draw a line directly south from that to northern Africa. It's modern-day Tunisia. And that is where Carthage was. And Carthage was a naval juggernaut. They were fabulously wealthy. They ruled the Mediterranean. And as a brief side note, trading, we don't give a lot of thought to trading today. Because we're so disconnected from it. It's human nature, right? What do you do when you want uh, pepper? Well, you... Head on down to the grocery store and buy some pepper. That's what you do. Well, 
This is a different era with different kinds of mobility. You are limited to whatever is grown around you. And if you want something that's not grown around you, it has to be shipped in. Now, that is quite a lucrative business if you're the one doing the shipping because nobody, even ancient people, want to grow up eating only the salt they can grow, they find in their minds in kumquats. You want strawberries and grapes and cinnamons and peppers and silks, and trading was enormous. And because they were a naval power, they were traders and they were rich. So rich, they didn't even really have much of a standing army because they were so fabulously wealthy. They would just go to their various territories and hire mercenaries whenever they needed an army. Good mercenaries, not not junk. The best. Now, you remember that little island of Sicily I told you about? Well... Rome pretty much has it. Carthage has some of it, a little bit of it. I'm not going to go into all the details. And Hannibal's father's name was Hamilcar. He was, I know it's sweet. He was a sweet general. Rome wanted them out of Sicily. Hamilcar was given jack for resources from Carthage, who wasn't really into it. They were just like, oh, just kind of. Just kind of guerrilla fight them. Hold them off for a little while. And then we, all we want is this war, this quote, war to end. And all we want is basically the territories we already have. So just hold them off for a while. Be enough of a nuisance. Win enough battles. And, and we want to come to peace terms. Hamilcar was not come to peace terms guy. Hamilcar was I would like to kill every man, woman, and child guy. And then stand on their dead corpses. However, he was not given the resources to do so. He was embittered about this. Finally, after 23 years, this war ends. Now, I know you're probably a little bit stunned that any war could last 23 years. Understand something? Anytime a war lasts 23 years, even in ancient times, what it's really telling you is, There was never really a big fight. It's like a boxing match that goes 15 rounds. There was some great action, but there was never a skull-crushing blow landed. Otherwise, it wouldn't have lasted 15 rounds. When a war goes 23 years, it tells you they never really squared off in a huge engagement. Hamilcar did awesome with his guerrilla forces. The Romans never backed off. Long story short... Carthage loses after 23 years. Rome puts what it thinks are crippling sanctions on Carthage. It's, I mean, Rome levels sanctions on them and they're like, well, I guess that's going to take care of Carthage. They're never going to be able to pay that off. And Carthage was all, yeah, here's your money after a few years. They were just wealthy. So Rome hated Carthage. Carthage hated Rome. But you know who really, really hated Rome? Hamilcar's sons. You see, Hamilcar was nicknamed the Lion, which who among us doesn't want to be nicknamed the Lion? That's my new nickname, Chris. Jesse the Lion Kelly. 
and Hamilcar had sons. And how sweet is this? His sons were called the Lion's Brood. And one of those sons, they were all great generals. They were, they were awesome. One of those sons turned out to be a star, turned out to be special. And by all accounts, Hamilcar could tell early on, here's the problem, though. You are in Carthage. It is a barbaric, horrific society where they take their sons often up to a platform. They worship the god Moloch, and they throw their sons down into the fire when they're 9 or 10 years old. So it's Hannibal's turn to be thrown into the fire. It goes a different route. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Remember, as we go through our little tale today, working our way up to the Battle of Zama, the Carthaginians are not saints. The Carthaginians were a monstrous society. They have found mass graves of children. They were big on child sacrifice. And not just babies, which is horrific Two, obviously, maybe the most horrific thing, but they would wait until a young man would get nine, ten years old, and the parents would lead him up. The, the, the elites of society would do this, would lead their child up and throw them into burning ash. Just horrible people. That's, let's set that aside for now. <laughs> let's just, let's, don't shed any tears when we start talking about dead Carthaginians. Let's just put it that way. The Hamilcar, instead of sacrificing young Hannibal, tells him at the age of nine years old that he must take an oath and that his oath is he will fight and kill Romans until the day he dies. Picture that at nine years old. What were you doing at nine? I was... Playing with ALF cards as we road tripped across the state. I was watching Captain Planet on television, eating Doritos and bacon sandwiches while I watched The Price is Right, shooting squirrels, playing basketball poorly. Young Hannibal, his general father, was kneeling down in front of him, forcing him to commit the rest of his life to murdering Romans. <laughs> Just a different mentality. Now... Hannibal, Hannibal was good at it. Hannibal was, look, it's how he was raised. This was a man who grew up in military campaigns, grew up learning from his father, grew up getting to know warriors and the ways of warriors and the different ways you can fight. And these weren't the barbaric tribes the Romans would fight. These weren't the the Gauls or the Germans. Carthaginians were advanced, wealthy. Again, you would call them still, even having lost the First Punic War, you would probably call them the heavyweight champ of the day so far, probably. Carthage is legit. Now, Hannibal takes an army, 
because they have to pay off this Roman debt, right? And he cruises over to Spain with his army. Spain is, again, I don't want to confuse things here, but Spain is kind of Carthage's, but kind of Rome's, depending on which part of Spain you're in. Hannibal starts snapping up silver mines over there, which the slaves were working. It was not, that was not duty you wanted, I will tell you that much. You did not want to go to the mines as a slave back in the day. And all of these empires were run on slaves. There were no saints here. Eventually, Hannibal starts eyeing up this city. This city that is under Roman protection. Now, again, let me explain. This is not a Roman city. But being under Roman protection was a big, big deal back in the day. It was something everybody in the world took deadly serious. Most definitely the Romans. They viewed it as their reputation and honor being on the line. You remember that line from the New Testament where Apostle Paul is about to get flogged or did get flogged. I forget the exact details of the story. Don't strike me down, Lord. I'm sorry. And Paul says to them, are you allowed to do this to a Roman citizen? And basically they all crap themselves when he says that. Uh, uh, you're a Roman? Uh, I'm sorry. Sorry. You know where that comes from? It wasn't just cities. It wasn't just, you know, other nations. If you were a Roman citizen, it was hands off, Jack, or Rome will come and decimate your whole daggone town. Being a Roman citizen was considered sacred. The Romans considered it very sacred. It was a big, big deal. You don't just get to flog a Roman citizen. You don't get to push around a Roman citizen. Or we'll level, we'll lay waste to your whole place. Kind of cool when you think about it. Well, if they were that protective of an individual, how protective of an, a whole city do you think they would be? Very. So as young Hannibal, keep in mind, Hannibal was 25 years old when he took command of the entire army, and they loved him. They practically worshipped him. Hannibal eyes up the city. City's under the protection of Rome. City says, uh, hey, Rome, have you seen this freaking guy? He is beating everybody up over here, and it looks like he wants to come here. So Rome, because they're Rome, and arrogance is the name of their game. They go over and, not literally, mind you, but they poke a finger in Hannibal's chest and say, hey, back off, Jack. This is our city. Now, you remember who we're dealing with here, right? How effective do you think that threat was? Hannibal said, yeah, oh, I'll get right on that. And then he promptly laid waste to that entire city. Laid waste to it. Put it under siege. By the time the Romans even got there to defend it, it was too late. It was a wasteland. And Hannibal decided, you know what, let's go ahead and get this thing on. Italy was a difficult place to get to by this point, however. And here's why. You remember I said Carthage was a trading city earlier? Well, they still are a trading city. But part of the reason the First Punic War took so long was Carthage ruled the seas. It was a big deal then as it is now to, to rule the seas. You control all the shipping lanes. You control what comes and goes. You can blockade ports. You can starve people. It's a big deal. Britain has made a living on ruling the seas for hundreds of years. 
Well, part of the way through the first Punic War, Rome, because Rome is amazing, just kind of decided, you know what? I think we're going to rule the seas. Which, if that sounds a little ridiculous, it is. And any other society in history would think it was. But bear in mind, Romans were different. They were obsessed with philosophy and science and engineering. Rome was in so many ways the peak civilization of all time. And before you roll your eyes and be like, ah, but Rome fell, you'll get these idiot college kids these days. They'll say things like that to you, Chris. Yeah, look what happened to the Romans. You you understand how long the Roman Empire lasted, right? (laughs) You get that, like, nothing comes close to that. The The Romans were legit. That people who existed hundreds of years after the Roman Empire fell, there are stories about this. They would come across things like the Roman aqueduct, and they would say, who is this from the gods? Who built these? Hundreds of years after the Roman Empire fell. That's reality. And because they were those kind of people, they were the kind of people who could just decide, you know what? I'm tired of them ruling the seas. We're going to rule the seas instead. And so they jacked a Carthaginian boat. And copied it a million times over and just somehow improved it. And now, by the Second Punic War, Rome rules the seas because that's how Romans did business. And now Hannibal has an issue. He's in Spain. He wants to get to Italy. He cannot sail to Italy. However, at the north of Italy, there is a bit of a problem. That problem is called the Alps. And one man by himself bundled up would probably die crossing the Alps. Hannibal has 80,000 men and elephants and needs to get across the Alps. So he's just going to go back home, right? No. This is Hannibal. I'm not going to do the entire journey of Hannibal because, let's be honest, I love him so much. I'm going to do Hannibal a lot, and I mean a lot. But Hannibal crossing the Alps is one of the great non-battlefield military feats in the history of mankind. It is one of those things we don't have enough written down about it to have all the details. But picture this. We're talking areas where you have to build a pass so your elephants can walk through. Oh, and when I said non-battlefield, it's full of tribes trying to murder you the entire time. Oh, and you're freezing to death. See, he crossed with 80,000, they say. 
And they say about a third of his army actually survived the trip. Which means you're done, right? He comes out of the mountain pass and he's done. But he's not done. Hannibal, he was just great at it. He was just amazing. The Romans at this time are the land force in the world. And they obviously got word. Uh, there's some psychopath coming through the pass. I swear he has a whole army too. And they're, they're like, what? All right. They send an army up there. And Hannibal just did little things that were amazing. I'll, I'll go over this battle in detail another day. But it, it was freezing up there. And Hannibal covered his guys in oil, which helps you stay warm. And then he positioned his guys on the other side of a freezing river and made the Romans charge through the freezing river so they were basically hypothermic by the time they got to him. It was just genius. And they outnumbered him. And Hannibal beat the crap out of him. And Rome, because their Rome, was like, well, yeah, this time, let's try that again. And they sent another huge army up there. And Hannibal wipes them out. Wipes them out in one of the great ambushes, the greatest ambush by a mile of all time. The Battle battle of Lake Tresemme. And now Rome is really mad and they're like, okay, we've had enough of this. Let's send another gigantic army up there. Screw this. Screw this guy. We're done messing around. And he was way outnumbered this time. It was like thirty-five to 40,000 versus I think 70,000. He surrounded them and killed them all. Only when I say all, there were some who escaped. Very few, but some who escaped. One of those men who were there and studied Hannibal and saw him pull off probably the most brilliant battlefield tactic in history as a smaller army surrounded a larger army that was thought previously to be impossible. Again, I'm not going to go into details on this one because it's awesome and it's, it's like a whole show. But young, one young Roman who was there, his name was Scipio. Remember that. Well, now Hannibal has wiped out not one, not two, but three gigantic Roman armies. Which would normally, at virtually any other point in history, end a war. In fact, Hannibal thought it ended this one. He thought, well... I guess we're pretty much done here. The Romans are clearly going to surrender. Except the Romans. And part of Rome's history, and it's an underrated part of their history. You can argue it got a lot of their people killed, but an underrated part of their history is Rome simply never, ever, ever surrendered. Even when they very clearly should surrender, they have no business going on. It was just one of those things, I mean, it's not on the table. We're not considering it an option at this time. (laughs) That's how they did business. And Hannibal was reportedly shocked, which it would be shocking. I mean, you, you win one big battle, that can do it. Two, almost guarantees it. Three, they're finished. And Rome's like, no, we'll be, we're going to get some more people together. Don't worry. We'll be back. Only, well, Rome wisened up a little bit. They didn't like this, but they appointed a man. I'm not going to go into all the details on him to run their military strategy. And his military strategy 
was genius. It was absolutely genius. His military strategy was, okay, we're not, we're not going to fight Hannibal anymore. Not in these huge battles. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. We clearly cannot beat this person, which is quite a concession if you're Rome. This is not somebody we can defeat here. Let's just avoid him. Let's just send our army all around him. Let's destroy crops. Let's just never fight him. And it drove Hannibal insane. In case you're wondering why Hannibal didn't march on Rome after he defeated the Third Army, one of his generals insisted that they should march on Rome, told Hannibal he knew how to win a victory, but not how to keep one. Hannibal argued, we do not have the army to take Rome. And they probably didn't. His army was so wiped out at this point, and Rome was heavily fortified, they probably didn't, but Hannibal didn't march on Rome. And so they start avoiding Hannibal. Hannibal does everything in his power to get them to fight. He starts burning down the homes of all the important Roman people. Please come fight me, and they won't fight him. And then Hannibal finally doomed himself. And you know what Hannibal did to doom himself? He decided he was going to take these areas, especially in southern Italy, because Italy wasn't all united behind Rome at this point. Even the people who were lots of these places still hated the Romans. They were there because they'd been forced to be. Hannibal said, well, I need some allies is what I need. Without realizing that his freedom was the reason he was still kicking butt and taking names. And so he went to these various little cities and said, hey, why don't we join forces? You see me kicking the crap out of the Romans. You and I join together, we'll do this together. And they're like, yeah, of course, man, we're on your side. Here's the thing, though. Uh, if Rome gets upset about this and comes and attacks us, you have to come help. And now Hannibal wasn't free. And now Rome started going after these places and forcing Hannibal to go to certain areas. You see, once Hannibal gave up that freedom, once Hannibal Promised protection? Well, that was the beginning of the end for Hannibal. Finally, the Romans, we'll come back to this in a moment. Finally, the Romans decided, you know, we've had enough of this guy. It's time to play a little bit of offense. Let's get this young hotshot Scipio, who's been studying Hannibal his entire life. Let's give him an army and let's send him to Carthage. Let's play a little offense. And they did. And obviously Carthage freaked out a little bit and said, uh, Hannibal, we, we need you to go ahead and come back home, please. There's a lot of angry Romans here, and they appear to want to do us harm. And there are some moments in history that I would give up small parts of my anatomy for to be there and see it. I'm talking pinky finger or something like that, at least a piece of it. And there's this infamous scene that apparently happened when the lion, Hannibal, maybe the greatest general who ever lived, at the head of a Carthaginian army, rides out and meets with Scipio, the young, hotshot, genius general at the head of a Roman army. And apparently, when they rode out, 
before they started speaking, they just sat there and stared at each other for a long, long time. Not out of anger, just out of mutual admiration, out of respect, assessing the other one. And then it was go time. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yes. Yes, he does. The Jesse Kelly Show. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole speech between Hannibal and Scipio once they finally did speak. I will tell you one funny thing about it is the armies look reasonably matched. But for some reason, the way he talks, Hannibal definitely sounds like he knows he's already been beaten. Now, that's not normal, and I've never been able to, everything I've found on it, I've never been able to find out why he knows this. He has good troops with him. He has elephants with him. Maybe he just had that much respect for Scipio. I don't know. But the speech is long, and I'm not going to go into all of it. It just The basic premise of it is, this is one of Hannibal's direct lines, is fortune used to be my mistress. I used to be the lucky one, essentially, is what he was saying. I used to be the one who was dominating the world, and now it's clearly going to be you. And they square off. Hannibal had elephants there. Now, there are elephants, and there are elephants, I should clarify. You see, they didn't just get on an elephant on the safari and ride him into battle. These people knew what they were doing. Carthaginians fighting with elephants was something they did. They trained their elephants. Their war elephants were specifically trained for war. Unless you had young ones without very much training. And if you have young elephants without very much training and that elephant gets spooked and loses its mind, and are you picturing an old battlefield with everybody standing close together with spears and swords? And are you picturing what exactly would happen if your own element elephant lost its mind and turned around and started ripping through your own people? Well, remember I said Scipio was a young hotshot, easily one of the greatest generals ever as well. He planned for this. He planned for everything. He had his Roman troops open up their lines so an elephant could not just storm through and smash 20 at a time. He also brought in massive trumpets that were loud. Apparently, they were very, very loud. Again, talk about things you would want to see. I want to see that. I want to see Hannibal sending in his elephants first, which he did, and Scipio pulling out trumpets and blaring it at the elephants, and apparently the elephants freaked, turned around, tore through Hannibal's left flank, his own elephant. Hannibal's uh, Hannibal's cavalry took off, To fight Scipio's cavalry, only Scipio this time for once had more 
The fighting took place away from the main battle, so Hannibal didn't know what was happening. Scipio's cavalry kicked the crap out of him, partially because Hannibal always used Numidian cavalry. Now, I don't expect you to know anything about Numidia. Just know it's basically attached to Carthage. They were the best horsemen in the world, especially for light cavalry. Hannibal always used them, only by this time they were sick of being ruled by Carthage, and they switched sides. Again, when it's over for you, it ends quickly. So Hannibal's men are fighting. They're fighting valiantly. And then Scipio's cavalry returns and smashes into the rear of Hannibal. Wipes Hannibal out. You never know the real numbers when it comes to these old things. They estimate 25, 30,000 Carthaginians dead. Scipio lost like 4,000. It sounds worse than it is. Understand when it comes to these ancient battles, especially people were definitely dying when they smashed into each other with shields and such, like you see in the movies. But they weren't dying that quickly. It's If you were to line yourself up in front of me and you were to put armor on your shins and a big armored chest plate, maybe some armor on your arms, a big thick helmet, and then a big shield, and I give you a spear, and then I put on all the same stuff. You understand that, yes, we could hurt each other really badly. We could kill each other badly. But even trained soldiers, it's difficult to land a killing blow when everything you wear plus your shield is specifically designed to prevent me from landing a killing blow. It's violent, it's ugly, it's bloody. We would be cut up, we would be exhausted. At some point, one of us would probably jam that spear through the other's eye, which actually happened there. It's written down. That's one of the ways people got killed. It's one of the only vulnerable parts out there. But again, if you're experienced at all and we're fighting like that, I know you're trying to hit my eye. I have my shield up. What I'm telling you is, It's not like in the movies where you just run out and Brad Pitt's in Troy playing Achilles and he pulls out a sword and just slices down 90 people before anyone can move. It's difficult to kill someone who's in front of you with a shield up trying to kill you too. It's just, it's not as easy as it sounds. Where the death came in these old, old battlefields, the death came in the retreat. The death came when... You and I are fighting, and I throw my spear down and turn around and run the other direction because I'm scared. Now you're spearing me in the back. Now your horsemen are spearing me in the back, and that's why the casualties were so bad for Carthage. Hang on, our story's not quite done yet. Your phone is gross. Now, Hannibal's story wasn't done. He didn't die at the Battle of Zama. He actually went back 
and pretty much took charge of Carthage. As you can imagine, he was well thought of back then. The The Second Punic War was over. And as you can imagine, he wasn't really well thought of in Rome. Now, when I say not well thought of, understand this. The Romans hated his guts. The Romans wanted him dead. The Romans were going to do everything humanly possible to make sure he was dead. But you can hear, I mean, most of the writings we have about Hannibal, they're Roman writing. They're not Carthaginian writings. The respect comes off the paper. You can tell Romans respected the fact this dude was a man-child. An absolute beast. But eventually, because if you thought the sanctions from the First War were bad, they were nothing compared to the Second Punic War. Essentially, the Second Punic War, the sanctions were so bad, the Romans were essentially guaranteeing, we're just going to come right back here really soon and kill you all. Consider this a brief, brief break from us slaughtering you. We'll talk about the third one here in a little while. Not on today's show, at another time we will. But Hannibal eventually gets run out of town because Rome's like, ah, have Hannibal leave. And now you have the aging general going all over the Mediterranean. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Full disclosure, I hadn't really, it's not now, it's not like I plan anyway. I don't plan things. I hadn't really planned on doing Hannibal for the first hour. That that was supposed to be about 20 minutes. <laughs> Look, I can't do coronavirus all the time, people. I love Hannibal. I just went with it. <laughs> I went with it. Now... How did Hannibal end? Well, bounced around. And when I say bounced around, when you're Hannibal Barca and you're not welcome in Carthage anymore, they got their own problems. There's still a market out there for somebody who's made an entire lifetime beating the crap out of Romans. That was not something a lot of people did. So he was essentially a hired gun, a hired consultant. Various kings who wanted to rebel against the Romans or were trying to hold off the Romans. Hannibal would show up and, hey, uh, you're looking for a hand here. I know I know how to do some of this. Then you get hired on and run out and hired on and run out. But eventually, Rome caught up with him. You see, Rome didn't forget about Hannibal. And his story ends in a way that has always bummed me out. You know I get bummed out when these great generals, when these great men, when they die in ways that I don't view are appropriate. But what is appropriate? If we all got to go, what is is an appropriate way? I I wanted Hannibal to die with a spear in his hand. But he dies on the run like a common criminal as the Romans are chasing him down all over the place finally finds himself holed up in a villa 
The Romans have surrounded the villa. Hannibal has poison with him. Hannibal says, quote, Let us now relieve the Romans of their fears by the death of a feeble old man. And he drinks their poison and Hannibal dies. Now, what was Hannibal's critical mistake in all that? What was it? Hannibal was doing fine. Everything was working out fine. Until Hannibal decided he wanted to start promising people protection. Protection is the death of freedom. Not just of Hannibal and his freedom to march all over Rome and kick the crap out of everything. As soon as you tie yourself down, as soon as you make commitments of protection, so often throughout history, there are a million examples of it, you have doomed yourself. What are we dealing with right now? Obviously, coronavirus, right? And I don't need to belabor the point at this exact moment about how disastrous I think these lockdowns have been. But really, if you want to get down to it, it's not just the debt we've piled up. It's not just the job loss. It's not just the suicides we're already seeing skyrocket, alcohol abuse, alcohol sales are through the roof. I'm not judging you. been doing it too much myself. Drugs. I've been huge into drugs. I'm kidding. I haven't been huge into drugs, but still. Child abuse, spousal abuse, it's just been horrible, right? But beyond that, what we did was our government, federal, state, and local government, they made a decision at the very beginning of it. And that decision was quite simply this. They told the public that they would be protected. And now, that genie doesn't go back in the bottle. Now we're at a point where people were realizing how disastrous and destructive these shutdowns are. And you see places like like Texas, I'll talk about them in a few They're going to start opening up, and and other states are going to follow suit, and we're going to start opening up. But here's the problem. You promised me I would be protected. And as soon as I get that in my mind as, as a citizen, that's tough to unravel. As soon as I get that in my mind as somebody in the government, I have to protect them. Well, how do you look at them now and say, I can't protect you anymore. I need you to go back to work. We have these food supply chain problems. Tyson came out and said, hey, we're about to have a big meat problem. We're having a huge meat problem. In Smithfield, they're, uh, I believe, the biggest producer of pork in the country. They said, yeah, not only are we having a supply chain problem, uh, my workers don't want to come to work now. They feel like they've been unfairly put upon. And why wouldn't they feel that way? The government told all of America, everybody stay home or it's unsafe. If you leave your your house, it's unsafe. 
If you don't stay home, you're going to die. Stay home. Everyone's going to die. Oh, what's that? It's May 1st. All right, everybody, back to work. Well, wait a minute. So I'm not going to die anymore? Is that changed? Is, is that different now? You've got these workers at Smithfield. I'm not even, I'm not even criticizing them. Well, I don't blame them. Well, wait a minute. You've told everybody they have to stay home or they're going to die, but I have to go to work. How's that work? That promise of protection is going to be a millstone around our neck for the foreseeable future. And it is going to take time and it is going to take commitment to unload it. It is. And you know what else it's going to take? It's going to take politicians being willing to step up and tell people hard truths they don't want to hear. You know I'm all about those, right? Remember, I'm not your mommy. I'm your daddy. I'm telling you the way things are. It's going to take a politician stepping up to the microphone and saying, you are not safe. Life is not safe. This virus is not going to be gone tomorrow. It's not going to be on May 1st, June 1st, July 1st. And you know what? If history is any indication, we might have a second wave that's worse than the first wave. We are going to do everything we can to take the appropriate precautions, but you have got to get back out there and live your life. And you know how many politicians are going to say that? Let's start at zero and work our way up from there. Even here in Texas where I live, Governor Abbott, good governor, happy with him. He's opening up, right? Woo, Texas is opening up. Ah, kind of. Abbott said, this is from texastribune.org, first to open, this is going to be Friday, retail stores, restaurants, movie theaters, and malls, but they will only be allowed to operate at 25% capacity. Well, that's not opening. That's dipping your toe in the water to see if it's safe. Abbott said a second phase of business reopenings could come as soon as May 18th, as long as the state sees, and I quote, two weeks of data to confirm no flare-up of COVID-19, end quote. So we're going to get back out there slowly at 25% capacity as long as it's safe. Again, that's not hard truths. Frankly, and again, I'm an Abbott fan. That's not leadership. That's dipping your toe in the water. That's telling the public, I promise I'm going to protect you. We have got to shake this mentality. Or it's going to be our doom. The Jesse Kelly Show. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it 
until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie. And uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Banacarum, here to announce a new season of our show, In Retrospect. Which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart. From the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan-loving Golden Girls. Listen to In Retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.